This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I'm delighted uh, to welcome Pat Nevin, uh, one of my favourite players from the 80s, and, and I'm very, very pleased that Pat agreed to come along and do a bit of a Q&A with us. Um, I'm going to stick with the same format that we have. You know, my, Pat and I will share the mic, and we'll have the, the one that Ramsey's got. I think Ramsey's going to be Mickey Microphone. Again, put your hands up, and then we'll get to you in turn, if that makes sense. But uh, other than that, welcome, Pat Nevin. Thank you. Great to see you, Pat. Um, I'm going to share the mic with you. I mean, we, this is not being projected out, but we do record this, and it's actually going out on a live, oh, on a live stream. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't. But you see, because we have a lot of overseas members, uh, and they can't obviously be here, so we kind of stream it live and all of that. Um, but other than that, you're very familiar with that. I'm going to ask the first question. It's kind of the chairman's privilege, and it's not going to be a football one. But it kind of does... Uh, you know, kind of stream into the fact that one of the reasons why Pat was one of my big uh, heroes in the 80s. Joy Division or the Cocteau Twins? Ah, the toughest question. The toughest question. Um, there shouldn't have to be an either or in arts. Um, and I've kind of kept on being involved in music. Um, I DJ in London probably once a month. Um, it was quite a well-kept secret until, <laughs> until Twitter happened. And then suddenly you can't keep anything a secret then. So I still do that quite a lot. So I'm still into my music. Um, actually, the Coltos be- became great friends of mine. But the lovely thing I had, and it was living in London, which is one of the reasons I fell madly in love with living in London, was the fact that artistically it was a great place to be. And I was able to live a kind of interesting life. And I love playing the football. I was made incredibly welcome for the entire time I was here. Um, but London was a place I immediately felt comfortable in which is not always the case for youngsters coming down, particularly in the position I was at the time because I was... Um, some of you may or may not know the story. I would, I'd turned down Chelsea for a year uh, because I wanted to finish my degree. And uh, I eventually agreed to come down, and I was on 180 quid a week as player of the year. Um, my rent... <laughs> a little caveat, as player of the year... And the rent in my flat in Ells Court, uh, my, my flat that had fleas, um, was 100 quid. So when you took the tax out of it, I had 20 quid a week to live on. 
I said, you know, as your player of the year. <laughs> I, w- I will admit that we got bonuses if we won. Unfortunately, that first year we were down here, we won the league to get promotion, and we got lots of bonuses. So I wasn't skint. I had enough to get by. Um, but in actual fact, I was I was just incredibly happy because, you know, I could do things. I was very dedicated to training. I was a fanatical trainer. Um, and I could go and live quite an interesting life down here. Like, I can remember one night going down to the ICA and seeing a, I think it was a Jesus and Mary Jane concert on a Friday night um, and a game on a Saturday. And, of course, nobody's any the wiser. You know, and I I knew that I wouldn't be drinking. I would be home, you know, 11 o'clock, plenty of time. There was a home game. Everything's cool. Um, whereas anywhere else in a smaller town, you couldn't get away with that. People would be grassing you in for doing these things. But I knew I was, I was so dedicated and, and, as I say, not a drinker or anything. I knew I wasn't doing anything that could affect my um, my fitness. I'll try and keep my answers shorter so you can get more in, right? But I just remembered one other thing. I did get into trouble once with the club. They never found out the time that I went. We always get Wednesday off, but I got a cheap flight over to Paris, got trained down to Bourges, halfway down France, to see a Cocteau Twins concert. Got the train back up, spent the night in Paris, and flew back the next morning, time for training, and nobody knew. <laughs> right. Okay, I wasn't great at training that day. I'll admit it, right. But I did get caught once by John Hollins when he became manager because he found out what I was doing. It was something completely different because most nights I was running. So I was going out and running along the embankment and doing, you know, an hour, an hour and a half just running because I love running. So I wasn't mucking about. I wasn't being unfit. I was a fanatical fitness kind of guy. And the club runs, I was always at the front of them. And it was kind of a wee bit hidden. But Holly was furious about the fact that I was going out. And he said, we're not training you hard enough. And I went, actually, no. (laughs) And anyway, that kind of gets to roughly where we are this week. We may look at the problems we've got with the team at the moment when... Are they training hard enough? Are they not training hard enough? And who knows the answer to that? That's a very, very good segue. I expect nothing less from a media professional, Pat. Um, I think that's probably a good place to start, really. What, did, what do you think of today? Wow, that's so hard today. Um, good result. Um, obviously, great result. Uh, I've never seen a team play that weekly and get four goals. Um, we should have been 4-1 down after 60 minutes. I think that would have been fair. The, the two chances they had after half-time. Um, lo- I mean, lots of problems, I think, today in the la- last four games. And I think Chelsea fans know that. There was a moment when the fans together started... We were 1-0 up, and it was, come on, Chelsea, come on, Chelsea. Now, starting watching it, you know, that's people getting slightly concerned because you've spotted it. you spotted where the problem is. And it's, I try to explain this to our commentators. I know this place well enough that I know the signs. Everybody had kind of spotted it at the same time. Um, and it was really worrying. And I, but there came that moment when, uh, I don't know if you remember, just 44, 50, I think it was today. I have to do time codes all the time. Um, and the ball was in the midfield, and Bakugoku tried to play the ball out to the right-hand side. And I'm going, and I said on 5 Live, there were seven things wrong with that pass, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the final thing was, and Chelsea could lose a goal out of it. Because you should... A, a, there, was two, there was two passes out to the left, Hazard was free, whatever. And there was all sorts of... It was too wide. 
all sorts of things. And we did. We lost the goal of it. Sometimes you can smell it coming. So lots of things wrong. Um, I think a lot of teams have sussed out the 3-4-3, three, 3-4-2-1. They know where the weakness is. The weakness is where they got their two chances. You know, it's behind their left attacking foot wing back and their left centre back that gets dragged out. So we get a lot of chances coming from there just now. That's fine. Teams are going to sort it out and suss it out and see whether we need to be adaptable. The positive is the manager was adaptable today. The coach goes and changes it. Now, he said in the press conference, I was in the press conference afterwards, and uh, he said he didn't go to 4 4 2. Liar. <laughs> 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 we did. But it was, but how brilliantly did it work? In the end, at no point in the game did I think there was any vitality about our play, and it hasn't been for all these since Atletico, I would argue. But it brings it on, and a number of positives came out of it at that point in time. One, you know, Aspie goes outside and he ends up scoring with a header. And you think, well, that's bloody hell. How do you work that one out of me? I know I see that one coming. But you bring on Zappacosta, who puts a cross in for the goal. And you bring on William, and William puts a cross in for the goal. And you bring on Bax, and he scores two goals. Now, you either are really, really lucky, or you're kind of making a lot of good decisions later on. And I think the, the, the manager's decision-making and substitutions... Although infuriatingly slow sometimes, and and I feel I feel it like everybody, it doesn't have work, you know. And it, his, his numbers are absolutely brilliant with it. So for all the negatives, we're not papering over any cracks. It's not right at the moment. But are we distance away? You're just picking up on that, Pat. Um, it's really weird, isn't it? Because we were superb against Atletico Madrid, and it seems to have all going to be Pete Tong since. And there's a bit of rumbling around stuff going on behind the scenes. Do you, do you think there's something going on? There's something not right at Chelsea at the moment? There's a, there's a great quote um, I just read in a book. I'm reading a book about gene therapy. No, just genetics, right? And uh, I shouldn't tell Gordon Strachan about that. Um, <laughs> just, so, <laughs> okay, so... But there's a brilliant quote by a guy called H.L. Mencken. Now, I see him with intelligent people today. You might, some might know Mencken. And one of his quotes is, and I, I'll paraphrase it completely, it says, there's a lot of complex problems in the world which have got a, a solution that's simple, direct, easy, and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what you kind of find a lot in football. So you're reading the papers that we're training too hard, and that's what the problem is. Oh, if it were so easy. And it's not going to be that. I could give you an alternative argument to every one of them. I don't know the answer, may I add, right now. If there was an easy answer, trust me, they'd have found it quite quickly, and they will. If you've never heard that the lads have been overtrained until we started losing a couple of games, yeah. and you never do, <laughs> you know, so is that winding up in the press, or is that some footballers who, when somebody asks them if there's something wrong, they'll quite quick to blame someone else <laughs> and I've lived through the players and I know that was a kind of common thing with the guys around me I was always looking at myself what I was doing wrong but a hell of a lot of them were not keen to do that and it's just human nature um, I think there is without a doubt there'll be something in the fact that the squad isn't big enough right? is, are, there, are there reasons for that and what are the reasons for that can we adapt that and can we change that by the time January comes around um, I think we've I don't think we've been unlucky with injuries I've got I think we've got unbelievably lucky with injuries last season whereas this season we're kind of it's evening itself out it's back on to maybe a wee bit worse but that makes up for last year so 
there's, there's them. So a whole, a whole multitude of things that could go on for a variety of reasons. We don't know the answer, but you find them. The one, one thing, just before I finish, is I do think the adaptability of systems going to have to make a difference. And I think if you look at Antonio's, I researched Antonio's history quite a bit, and I used to go to see Juventus quite, quite five live, which oddly send me a lot to tune in. So I spoke, watched these teams. And the thing that used to always jump out at me is I have no idea before I turned up what system we would play because he's so adaptable. We've not seen it because there was no need to adapt last year. Trust me, you're going to see it. And that's good news. Excellent, right. Um, I think it's time. Yes, exactly. Sometimes I'm, I'm, not, I'm not deciding who asks. No, no, I, I, unfortunately that's my job. Um, I'm going to speak Steve first, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm mindful of who's put their hand up, but uh, do remind me. Hi, Pat. Privileged to meet you. Um, at any workplace, you could work with your mates, and it's great to work with them. You get that rapport, and things just click. But also in the workplace, there are the divs that you really don't like, but you've still got to work with. Now, you may or may not choose to volunteer, but I'm curious to know over your career, the players that were your mates who you really enjoyed playing with, and those that, frankly, you didn't <laughs> have the same feeling. Uh, no, I don't know like question. Uh, to me, if I come, to, no, no, don't. If I come and I ask a question, I will tell you, I, I will give you an honest answer, first of all. And if I can't give you one, I'll tell you why I can't give you an honest answer. Right, simple, it's easy. It's, it's, it, I don't obfuscate, just tell the truth. Um, there was a period of time, I remember a period of time at Chelsea, because see now if, if two guys fight, you know, in a training ground, it's, it's in the back pages. It's everywhere. It's trouble at the club. When I was at Chelsea, it was a fight every week. And it was like, you know, it was just kind of a way of getting by. I can remember, you'll know, some of you know, there was a brilliant fight between uh, Speedy and uh, Colin Lee just when I arrived. It was, then there was another one between uh, Kerry Dixon and Speedy. And then there was another one between Canners and Speedy. And then it was... <laughs> And my, one of my favourite ones, one of the best ones, was really funny. There's a dark side to this as well, but it was a good side. One of the best ones was a game once, and it was a, we were doing a seven-a-side. Anyway, there was Joe McLaughlin at the back, and Speeds was giving him dogs. He'd be oh, you're terrible. You're, I know we're on, so I'll calm down with the language. So he was giving the dogs a piece, and Joe just basically got fed up with it and just walked slowly and you know, purposefully towards Speeds at the other end of the pitch, and Speeds was going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Down he went. We just played on. <laughs> so one, two, and then went on. And, you know, it was, was kind of, so, so he wasn't the easiest guy to like. And I kind of felt like it was, we didn't go on at all, at all. Uh, but I learned to understand, because if you, re I mean, it really didn't go on. And there was a, you know, many, of you, many of you might have read Paul Carnival's book, which is one of the main reasons why I didn't like the, where we didn't go on. Um, the terrible thing happened. So I had this thing where I didn't really like spending time near him, but boy, on the pitch, what an understanding. It was fabulous. And you always knew where he was going to go. always knew where Kerry was going to go. And it was a great understanding. Boy, what a good player. So you can do that, and you can work together. It can be fine. But I can remember it was, we'd been at Chelsea about three years, and I was, by then, an international playing with Scotland, and Speedy then get pulled into the squad because they apparently thought he was Scottish. <laughs> Right, so, um, 
And of course, what do you do? They've got a Chelsea player who just joined the squad, so they put him in a room with me for three days. <laughs> so I was like, so anyway, and to be fair, it was the best thing could happen because I got to understand them better. So, you know, we didn't go on, but I, I understood where it was coming from. I, we didn't agree with much, but, you know, I understood where it was coming from. When we meet now, we're fine. But through the, my career, I'll be absolutely honest, I had this thing about not hanging about with footballs. Um, it's not that I didn't like them. I didn't have a lot of interest I shared with them. Um, they weren't going to go to see the theatre with me if I went to the... I can remember, I remember once, I was a friend of mine, she was a, she's a principal ballerina at the Royal Ballet. And I used to be able to stand on, in the wings watching the ballet at Covent Garden, which is just fabulous, and you're like, amazing. I'm not coming in the next morning going, hey guys, guess what I've done? <laughs> <laughs> happening you know <laughs> but it's better, and I'm saying it to you and you all think yeah it's a cool thing to do <laughs> just maybe it's better now but it wasn't then so but it was some guy I mean I mean today I met two of my favorite people I've ever known in my life I hadn't seen Patsy and Bumstead for a, a year or so but I bumped into them today and they're the, some of the, my favorite people and I love them too because they had an absolute Python-esque sense of humor totally Python-esque it was brilliant and still have it so it's kind of nice, but you don't bump into them all the time. But there's stories about every every team I played for and every single player I played for. And the lovely thing about my position, it was, I was such an outsider within it that I saw the strangeness of it. I saw the weirdness of it. Um, so I didn't dislike them. I kind of just studied them. And it was great. Anyway, that's a very long answer to your that's question. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, I know Dan had his hand up, so... Hi Pat, since you've left Chelsea, uh, which manager have you most liked to played under and which striker you like to played with? Ah, good question. Um, oddly enough, through your career, I'll go to the players to play with. I'll be honest, there weren't that many players I've played with that I've really loved uh, playing with and that I could have a, an understanding at a level that I wanted to. It's an odd thing to say. I certainly appeared at the start of the Premier League. I'd, didn't really rate English football very highly. Um, and it kind of seems a bit odd and it might sound arrogant, but I thought it was big, powerful, forceful, and I was looking for something different. And then Barcelona came along, you know, and it was, that's kind of, I'm watching Javis and Iniestas and, and obviously a player like me, you know, that's, <laughs> I'm going, well, that's what I always try to do, you know, whereas, and you may well know that I, when I came to Chelsea, I'd never played in the wing. And they told me to go and stand out in the wing. And I'm going, why? I don't do that. So I had to relearn how to play f a different system. So I wanted to put players that could do what, what Hazard does with William and it was Mata and all that sort of stuff. My current favourite player in, for the past 10 years or so, in, or five, six, seven years or so in English football has been David Silva. It's because he plays football the way I was trying, exactly the way I was trying to do it. But through my career, how many guys were like that? And you think about it, I didn't play with many. So one of them was Peter Beardsley, and he was fabulous. You often talk about, if you listen to Match of the Day, and they all talk about, oh, the great goal scorers. And now they look at stats, and they talk about your shearers or your right. And I'm thinking, Beardsley was better than them by miles. He was a world, world, world-class player. So if there weren't actually as many that I had a real good understanding with. But there was lots that I admired 
for their specific skill set. Um, so I look back at my Chelsea time and, you know, I liked the skill set that certain ones of them had, but as I link up and understand them with them, I don't know, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to see that. I mean, certainly Bearsley, it, 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 and in Scotland, when I played for the national team, obviously Kenny Douglas was great to work with and John Collins with Brian Paul McStay, they were real quality players. Um, manager, um, any manager, and I'm completely and utterly biased here, right? Any manager who kind of trusts you is really good. And John Neal was just phenomenal for me. He just said, famously, I remember saying really early in my career as a scrawny wee kid from Glasgow, he would do the team talk and then say, and give the ball to Pat and you'll win. <laughs> me? Really? <coughs> and what a belief that gives you. Um, and I'll be fair, I, I worked under a lot of managers and, and most of them were pretty rubbish. <laughs> you know, I, I worked under one manager who, I've rarely seen him sober, training or at a game, you know, and I'm, all sorts of incredible stories. I, look, it's really hard. I, I, but we'll give him a code name. Let's call him Coward Hendel. Right. So, <laughs> now, actually, Howard and I didn't go on, right? Howard's recently died. When we played together, Howard and I didn't go on when I was at Everton. Now, quite simply, he didn't rate me and I didn't particularly rate him. But in actual fact, I didn't like that I didn't think he was giving enough to the club because of, but he had an addiction, an illness. You know, and you can't, it's hard to blame somebody for that. But I, there were a couple of games we went to where he, the decision making was poor. And I'm thinking, there are 3,000 fans that have just travelled and spent every penny they've got to get down to this game and you can't stay off a sauce for a minute. So I was annoyed at the time by that. When I got, maybe I was a, a little bit severe, and maybe, but I just was like that at the time. Oddly enough, within two weeks of me leaving, we met up and it was fine. And we got in great. So it's just a work thing, you know, and it's just a, a stress thing. So in my years, I've, I've worked under some that have been average. I was one manager I worked under who would come in and he would do the entire team talk. And there was one, I, I, in fact, I can give you his team talk, right? And sadly, he died recently and I loved the man, right? It, it came in, I, would, I was at Tranmere near the end of my career, and I told, we bought this guy called Tommy Coyne who played for Celtic in Republic of Ireland, and we had John Aldridge, myself, and we were a team. And we were just about to get promoted to Premier League. We were right there every year. And we bought Tommy Coyne, and I'd said to Tommy beforehand, look, do you know what? He's going to do something daft in this, this team talk. Just ignore it, okay? So <laughs> the manager comes in and goes, right, lads. You're in the Wild West. <laughs> no, he's really going for it this time. He says, and you're at the bar, but you want to get out. And I think we're a team top. We're all got our kit on here, right? And he said, like, so you want to get out, so you get your guns out, and you go back, and you, you all the way back, and you feel those doors, you know, the swing doors in the saloon. You feel them behind your back, and you get them up, and, and you open them, and it, but you still don't get those guns away yet. And you go around the corner, and once you're out there on your horse, then you can put your guns away. <laughs> and that's what it's like at a short corner. <laughs> Tom Coyne's looking at me going, what the? <laughs> and this manager, Johnny King, who's, I loved him, I adored the man. 
and he would always do his team talk and he would always do tactics and then he'd walk out and as the door shut we all went okay right what are we going to do <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't matter because he, well, he, had this, he had one brilliant brilliant talent he could spot a player and he'd write good players and you know that was that that's that beats just about any anything you need so through the career good managers Craig Brown who worked under and he's a good manager as well but to be fair there's more average ones than good ones right DJ hiya Pat um, the other day um, thanks to uh, Tim Rolls I wasn't there unfortunately because of uh, work reasons um, Tim Rolls book um, Diamonds Dynamos and Devils you can pay me for the plug later Tim uh, in that apparently um, when Terry Venables was at Chelsea Tommy Doherty didn't like him because Venables wanted things run his way. And as soon as uh, the team came out of the dressing room and were on the pitch, Venables was going around telling the players what to do and where to play. And um, well, when Rafa Benitez was here, I said to John Terry, because I know the players weren't that happy with Benitez, I said to John Terry why don't you just listen to him and when you get out on the pitch, do it your way. And John Terry said, it don't work like that. You can't do that. But you've just said there... Well, you all need to do it. That's the thing is, one guy can't go out and do it. You have to come to a core agreement with the group to do that. And usually the managers get two or three, or maybe more than that, on his side. But if everyone agrees, this is what we do then you can do it. You can't have two teams working within a team. Or you, or you can have, but it doesn't work very well. So you're right, JT would have to get the whole group together, get them all working under him, which even though he is, you know, Captain Lee the legend, you know, he, that's a big call. And to be fair, we did all right under Rafa. Yeah, you got the team quite sensible. I, I thought he got his playing pretty well. Um, but it was a tough one, especially in the early days of Rafa, because he was... We all couldn't stand him. Really. <laughs> but to be fair, he kind of did melt a few of us and thought, actually, he's doing all right. And he behaved, I thought, with quite incredible decorum. I've got to say that he was a really nice bloke. Right? I thought he was a great bloke, actually. Really nice yeah. bloke. Got me drafted, eh? Got me <laughs> 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 I'm really concerned about these scores. Who's going to read them out? Um, City won 3 0. I had them down for a 4. Uh, then Mourinho will say they won the second half 1 0. Yeah. <laughs> City won 3 0. Newcastle beat Palace 1 0. Stoke won Bournemouth 2. Yeah, Bournemouth, because we're playing them next week of only at the full. Uh, Swansea won Leicester 2. And uh, Celtic beat Hibernian 4 2. Which... I'm not. I am not. I've done the unthinkable thing. You know, can you believe this? Right? I don't know how many of you know this, right? So you're Chelsea fans. And say someone said to you, you've been a Chelsea fan for 30 years and you've decided to change. Right, Un unthinkable. I did that. I was a Celtic fan for 30 years of my life and changed. <laughs> so who ever does that? Nobody in the world does that. Um, no, I... 
It was, uh, it was actually, as I often say to people, to quote an old NME line, it was musical differences. Um, I didn't like some of the songs that were being sung and some of the stuff. And my son was, uh, I, was I was growing up in a thing. I don't have any bias or bigotry. Uh, and I'm also quite mean. So I, I, I immediately became a season ticket holder at Hibernian because I didn't want to buy a new scarf. So <laughs> Okay. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm dodging the question. Any other questions? Okay, thanks, Matt. Um, my question sort of segues a bit from what you were talking about earlier, today's game, and actually follows a little bit nicely from DJ's question, which is about the ability of a team to change the way it plays. Now, I love Antonio Conte's passion. I love to see the guy really getting stuck into the players sometimes. But I'm wondering whether, and I just appreciate your opinion on this, a manager who's constantly directing the players seems to be micromanaging them. Is he making them less flexible? Are they less able to manage the game themselves? Or am I just sort of reading too much? No, I, there, there can be that. I, um, I remember getting many teams being annoyed by a manager shouting and bowling and telling me where to go. And I'm thinking, well, I, I think I know more than you about this position. I really did. You know, I think, well, I know where the weakness is. You probably don't because you didn't play in my position. So that can be quite annoying sometimes. Um, defenders <laughs> and personal guys, but they usually quite like it because it's just purely positional. So for uh, defensive, destructive positions, it kind of works. For creatives, it's harder because you really want... The worst thing in the world is if you're standing out in the wing and you've not had a kick of the ball for 20 minutes and everyone's saying, oh, he's a bit in and out of the game. I can't score a goal without the ball. I can't create without the ball. So you try, you try and do something. But he wants the shape and the structure. You put your call between the devil and the deep blue sea there. So the creatives need a little bit of flexibility without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but the rest, I think, really, you need to keep the structure right. And the creatives don't, you don't just do what they like when they need to do their defensive stuff. So I think when I watch Antonio, most of the time when I'm watching him, he's getting that defensive line, he's getting the people to draw back and pull over. It's kind of mostly defensive. I don't see him that often micromanaging the creatives. I don't think you see him saying anything to Sesk. I don't see him saying a great deal to, you know, Eden, you know, much really. I'm kind of seeing it only come at one half, and it's in the right areas for me. couple of things really a very simple thing I noticed all the shin pads they wear are really really tiny these days that's one point um did you wear tiny ones or bigger ones mine were micro 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 tiny ones uh, I only wore shin guards purely for one reason because uh, the law of the game said you have to uh, uh, I wouldn't have worn them have you at never all. seen someone who got caught not wearing them with a bad tackle um I don't think I have shin card ever stops you get a broken leg. Uh, it may stop you getting a gash. But my, my main point was this. I look at the game today and I look at the game at Roma and places like that. Mm. Who is taking responsibility on the pitch for Chelsea? I see wingers, come point, I see wingers coming and they just cross the ball and they think someone should be at the end of it. Mm. Now, would, you ever, would you have done that or would you have picked someone out? No, I don't know. I love that question. Sorry, I love no, that no, question. Because no. okay. I changed. Another thing I changed on. Um, most of the time at Chelsea, I spent my time... In fact, I've been thinking about that point recently. 
because most of the time in Chelsea, I was absolutely specific. I will get to the byline, and I'll get into position, and I'll find you. So, like, Cesc Fabregas never plays a ball into an area. He plays it like a quarterback to your feet from wherever, right? So don't ask Cesc to put it in an area. Ask him to play the ball, because he's a genius at it, right? And I spent my whole early career always picking people out. If Kerry was at the back post, if Speeds were at the near post, if someone was for a cutback, all the way through, be it Scotland, be it Everton, be it Chelsea, always did exactly the same thing. And it kind of worked. And then I went to, as I said, after Everton, I had a choice between Galatasaray and Everton. Choices you get at football, incredible. <laughs> uh, when I left here, when I left Chelsea, it was a choice between Paris Saint-Germain or Everton. And I'd, I'd agreed to go to PSG, so I'd have been a PSG player. And then my wife-to-be said to me, why are you going to PSG? She said, well, they'd be a good team. And he goes, she said, no, they're not. She says, you just want to hang about in the left bank with the artists, don't you? <laughs> yes. So I sang for Everton because it was the right football thing. Anyway, I, go, I eventually go to Tramia, and I'm there two games into it. And I look up and look for John Aldridge. And he goes berserk with me. And I went, what's the problem? He goes, never look. Just play it in. I'll be there. Don't worry. Well, I, I like this confidence. Okay, I'll try it. He was. <laughs> he was absolutely phenomenal. I've never seen him like it. Uh, he was world-class, John Aldridge. He was, talk about Rushy. A lot. Ian Rush was a great player. Aldridge was that good. Easily that good. It was, he's had a weird career. He did well in Real Sociedad. And he, he went, he was 45 goals a season. The guy was unbelievable. So I, Aldridge, I changed again in my career. If anyone else was, if Aldridge wasn't playing, I would try to pick people out. But if Aldo's on the pitch, no, 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 get in there. Put it in between the two centre-backs and the goalkeeper, he'll be there. And he was. So, oddly enough, there is no simple answer. It depends. If it's back wise playing, I'll put it in the area. I'll just put it in the area. He'll be there. Back wise unbelievable at it. The rest of his game, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm pretty well, sure. The question was, who... Well, that's the point. Uh, he's a goal scorer. He is a phenomenal goal scorer. Can I tell you a story about centre forwards, right? right? Never trust centre forwards. Right? Yeah. Because they know nothing, right? They really are. They, because they've never really played the game. They just stand on the end of it, right? Well, they don't. It's, it's one of the biggest kept secrets in football. If the, whoever good a centre forward he was, see when you're picking for the five or six and the seven or six at training, they are always last picked. Because he can't play. Because all he can do is kick the ball in the net. They've got great touch when there's a net there. The rest of the time, there's no vision or anything. And when I see these guys, like Aldo, I'll tell you how I wax lyrical about John Aldridge. Last pick. Always last pick. And he used to go mental. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Kerry. Last pick. <laughs> but you put him in front of a goal. Fabulous best touch you've ever seen. So... Bats is a bit like that. Um, it gets abused and it's infuriating. Today, did, you probably noticed he's, uh, the, time, the second thing the ball came today, he lost it and it bounced off him again. Right? And there was such a sigh and a groan around the place. And I, mean, I thought, Look, don't, you don't do that, guys. I, I know you're disappointed and we know we all know what that's a problem. But that's not what he does. What he does is get it around and you get in that area and he'll score for you. And he will. And I said it in Five Live today. Um, they have a wee bit of a laugh because he's been having a tough time. So, okay, here's a wee thought piece for you. 
go and have a check-up to see goals per minute. Who's the best between Harry Kane and Michi Batshuayi? And it's Batshuayi. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I always wind Kerry up. I know, I adore Kerry, and I, he's always said that if Kerry was playing now, he's got a whole barrel load of goals. He would. I thought I showed the shadow over there. Bear in mind that the second part of that question was who takes responsibility for Romina. <coughs> well, we've got used to we've got used to having JT for you know what it seems like a generation. You have to remember that's weird. That's unusual. There's not many like him, and there's fewer like them than ever. Someone to take that responsibility has to be playing every week. Sensible, comfortable in their own position, playing well. Um, <clears throat> and I would like it to be Gary Cahill, but Gary has ups and downs and he's had a few. Um, and he's not actually always first pick at the moment. So it's tough to be that core person in the group. Um, I'd like it to be David, but he's David Lewis. <laughs> And you know, it's not, not, he's just his personality is is more frivolous than that slightly. So it's actually hard to see. And if you're a new player, it's hard to walk in a dressing room and grab the dressing room and scruffy next. So you're right. I don't think there's an obvious one. And it, but it's, but you look around the league. <coughs> you look around the league, and there's a lot of teams like that. Can I tell you my favourite David Luiz story? Um, he's fabulous. Is it? Um, <laughs> closer than you might think, that comment. 
closer than you might think. Has anybody? I did this. I didn't do it deliberately. I was walking out pitch a couple of weeks ago, out of the game a couple of weeks ago, and all the lads were driving out with their cars. And I'm not particularly great interest in cars. Something to get me to A to B. Don't really care. But they're coming in with their big, fancy Aston Martins and the rest of it. Uh, no affair, you know, very good, and that one's very low. <laughs> right. And they will come with these big cars, and then in drives David Lees, and his car, has anyone ever seen this car? It's brilliant. It's like a kind of less stylish version of Postman Pat's van. <laughs> it's, it's, but, but painted green. It's absolutely a scream. Only person that could get away with it. I should uh, Canty's got a li nice a wee B a VW or something like that. Or something. Anyway, but... The pro I'm mini, it's a mini, yeah. So, but that's okay. But I kind of, anyway, the story about um, David Louise, I adore David Louise. If you've ever heard me talking about him, I think he's fabulous. Um, and I think if he became available, Manchester City would buy him tomorrow morning because he's perfect for that sort of team. You can play it out, you can pass it out, that sort of stuff. And he's important for, you know, and we give him abuse in our country or others give him abuse because, you know, he'll make the odd mistake. Every defender makes the odd mistake. At least he's tried to do it being positive and do something effective. Now, I adore the fact that he's as good a passer as you'll find in the league, just about apart from Cesc Fabregas, which is brilliant as well. Um, but I also love the kind of effervescence of his personality. And it really, you need it in a dressing room. Because sometimes you have to be, sometimes it's a rotten day in training. Sometimes it's just an hour and a half of walking through drills, which are dull, that you need to do to get positioning right. You need a nutter, you know. And David's got a bit of that about him, and it's really, really handy to lift spirits now and again. Oddly enough, the other guy who was like that was Diego. Diego was exactly the same. So them two together, I remember when them two together, I thought, David's coming back, and Diego, oh my God, that's going to be mental. But apparently it worked really well, and it was great. So, so this, the family story is, um, there is only one rule in the Nevin household to my daughter, Lucy, who's 21, uh, 22. Um, and the one rule is um, you're not allowed to marry a football player. That's only ever. That's your only rule. I know they like anything else you can do. You like, you know. But we've come to an agreement that if David Louise comes to call, that might be okay. <laughs> all right, all right, Pat. Um, bit of a silly question, really, but I can't meet you and not ask you if you remember the Newcastle home game and the dribble. I often get asked about that, stand yeah. And you, yeah. I mean, I had my jaw open. I was a teenager then. Do you remember the game? Yeah, no, I, I do. It was a, it came a big game for me. We beat Newcastle, anyone who wasn't there. We beat Newcastle 4-0. <clears throat> but I'd actually had an agreement with John Neal. Because I, I kind of like dribbling. I, I really loved doing it. My dad had taught me how to... I'd go back a bit. My dad had gone and watched Celtic training. And the manager was Jock Steen, who was a genius. And, but he watched the players at the time. They won the European Cup, but they had a player called Jimmy Johnson at the time who was a brown dribbler. And Jenky had done these things that made, made him a better dribbler. He learned some of them from Stanley Matthews. My dad was a coach anyway. So he got all these different things, and he taught me the methodology, which is now all you do is there's a DVD now by a guy called Will Curver. And if you want to learn how to do it, just get a Curver video, right? So anyway, I did this all my young life, and that's why I could dribble. And I love doing it. And I also noticed quite early on that fans quite liked seeing it. I picked the ball up in the 18-yard line so, and went the length of the pitch. But every time, I, every time I try and do it, the manager could always tell when I was doing it because I fancied doing it. 
as opposed to you doing the right thing. So I got two agreements. <coughs> First one was, if we go three goals up, can I do what I like? And he went, yes. And thank you. That's good. That's what I want to hear. Um, but before that, try and do the right thing. You can beat players, but I wasn't really allowed to do it. No. So, um, and there was another thing. So when we went, we were 3-0 up a minute after half time in that game. I think Bernal scored, if I remember rightly. I remember looking over at the gaff, because you don't go 3-0 up that often. And I looked over the gaff and went, oh. <laughs> and that was me, the whole rest of the game, I'm like, fun, 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 fun. I mean, I usually had to kind of curtail it to doing it with the ball boys and the ball girls before the game, because I like getting my touch right by doing the dribbling then. But the other thing about it was, for whatever the gaffer said, I always did one every game. And that was my hello to my dad. So my dad was up in the stand. He'd come down to the game. He had to get the first the 6 o'clock train back up. I couldn't get to see him. So my way of saying hi, dad, was to go on. He'd call it a mad Maisie dribble. Go on a mad Maisie one. And that was my way of saying hi. And sometimes I would go. <laughs> no, I'm pleased with it. I love it. What happened there? What happened? I've told this so many times. Number one, if you've not seen the penalty, which most of you would have, but kids don't, I always tell me to go on YouTube. And it was me that put it up. <laughs> it surprises people. Um, because it was such fun. Um, I'd actually practiced it a couple of days before we had in this week and uh, scored 20 out of 20. And you didn't need to take a run up. However, it wasn't muddy that day. <laughs> Whereas the day I did it, it was muddy. And that's your fact. But actually, I just, just, you know, slap made a mistake. It was a bit rubbish. But the big problem was, as I walked away, I had to try and not be seen laughing. <laughs> so, and I was pissing myself laughing. If you remember, we were 4-1 up. There was a minute to go. It was a cup game. It meant nothing. So I was walking away, trying to look disappointed with my head down. But a gaffer spotted that I was laughing. They fined me for laughing. I never paid it, like, but um, I just thought it was absolutely hilarious. And I've never kind of, people go, oh, God, what about that penalty? And I'm thinking, I thought it was one of the funniest things that ever happened. So, and because I never took myself particularly seriously, I didn't really care. So we won. That was all the mad. I actually played quite well and made a couple of goals that day. I was quite happy about it. I just wonder what your thought is on something that infuriates me is Courtois and his kicks out. Is that meant to happen? Is he doing it as a way? You're passing out yeah. for the back. Um, if you get a chance, I do a lot of technical analysis, not a lot, a number of technical analysis pieces for the BBC website. And I, they asked me to do them. I could do one every day, every day or every week anyway for them because they love the way I, I, I use all the technology and I do things. And I always say to them, no. I will only do these things when it's bloody good and you've not seen it anywhere else. Because you see the match of the day stuff and it's the same all the time. You know, you're not, you're not learning anything really. Well, you some things are, but not that often. So I'll do it when you get something. Now, I've only done one this season so far. And the next one's going to come out on Thursday, which I built yesterday. The one I've done this season is, it's nothing against goalkeepers, but they're not players. They're not good enough. Now, this isn't Courtois, this isn't Mignolet, this isn't... They ain't good enough. So you go and ask them to be the playmaker. It's like, it's really unfair. It's like 
if whatever your job is, if you're a joiner or, or somebody who does any sort of work, you bring in an amateur and say, right, you go and do his job. You can't do it because you're not as good as them. You haven't spent your entire life doing it. So you ask these keepers to go and play this, these balls out for the back under pressure. They're going to get caught. You're going to get any trouble. You're going to end up giving the ball away. That's not Courtois' fault. That's not the, the Liverpool keeper's fault. That's not any of their fault. They're not good enough to be able to do it. I love doing that play out from the back, from the keepers, that way they're trying to do it, because I know the thinking, I know the reasoning why, and I'll, I'll explain the reason in a minute, which you probably know, but you better be good enough. Now, as far as I can see, there's only about two in world football that are good enough. Yes. So Manuel Neuer can do it, because I, I think you could play Manuel, Manuel Neuer and in a team and he'd be good enough. It wouldn't be Bayern Munich good enough, but he'd be good enough to play it in a professional team, right? So he's good enough. I think your boy at City now is good enough. He can, he's great. Yeah, the striking stock shoes. Now, there's a reason for that. I'll tell you the reason now. Have a look at... I have to do these things because I need to... And I don't like guessing. I want to know as well. So I went and had a look up at Man City goalkeeper's uh, stats. Pass accuracy. So he's playing out for the back and he's under pressure. Pass accuracy at the moment is 96%. 96%. Nobody else has got that. Well, there's one other guy who's got more than him at the moment. So that's amazing that he's doing that under pressure just now. So he can play. But asking others to do it, now, what, so why do you ask him is the following question. Well, it's simple. You want to keep the ball. And if you play the ball wrong, you're at, the, the numbers are usually 35, 65, you lose it. So you're 65% of the time, when you play the ball wrong, you're giving the ball away. And nobody wants to give the ball away. So that's why they're all trying really, really hard to play from the back. It's dead, dead simple. Now, if you're Barcelona, you can do it. If you're Man City, to some degree, you can now do it. And some teams can do it. And we actually get away with it most of the time. But the numbers are a bit worrying. They're, they're not up high enough, and it's simple. It's not against Courtois. He's just not a good enough footballer to do it to a high level against the press. No, you just need, you just need to be a good footballer. I mean, some of our outfield players are pretty rubbish in their weak foot. Most left footers are absolutely hopeless in their right foot. Right footers can play with their left, but left footers can't play with their right. It's a, it's a strange anomaly. Now, I don't know. I'll finish my gene book and I'll tell you. Maybe <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. Well, I, well, it's practice, yes. But it's the weirdest... If there's not many left footers around when you're playing football growing up as a kid, you're more likely to spend some time playing on the left, so you develop your, your other side a bit more. Yeah, I, that, that's part of it. Um, it's, it's odd, though. I sp for a lot of my career, I could, I could have counted the amount of goals that I got because I figured this out when I was like 18. So if you're playing in the right wing, if you can imagine it, and you're running into the back post, and the ball's crossed across, have a look how many left backs try and clear the ball with their left foot by skewing it around. None of them try and clear it with their right foot. So I always used to just gamble. They're going to make a mess of it. So I just gambled all the time. It's got a whole bunch of goals that way. Brilliant. Uh, we've got about 10 minutes left. Um, so By the way, I'll stay to anyone who wants to chat any further because my flight's not till 10 o'clock. <laughs> okay. So the, we'll be buying Pat the beers then. Now, actually, in all, in all seriousness, we, we should finish at uh, half five formally. But if Pat's around, which yeah. is lovely if he is, I mean, you know. 
knock yourselves out, as they say. But until then, we've got a few more questions from people who we haven't asked, asked or haven't asked questions before. Would be nice. So, anybody, you, sir. Hi, Pat. Just following on from what you were saying about Courtois, yeah. do, you, do you think that's the case with some of the defenders as well? Yeah. It yeah. seems to me they're leaving Cahill open. He's the only out ball. Is that because they think he can't play? Do you know the loveliest thing is, do you know everyone sees how fantastic the modern game is and how different all these technical coaches and we spent our entire careers playing with, make sure that big lumpy centre-half gets the ball, then close him down. So it's ancient. We've always done it. And you filter. And we always used to filter to do this. Now, to be, to be honest, the, the jargon's a bit better now. And the, you, the, the words they use are better. Oh, it's a high gang in press. Yeah, close them down. You know, we've always done it. They're not very good in the ball. Get them to lump it and we'll get it back again. It's, it's honestly, sometimes it drives you nuts. Listen to how they want to make it sound more complicated than it is. But in actual fact, yeah, a lot of defenders aren't as technically good in the ball. That's why I love David Luiz. Because he's very, very good technically in the ball. That's why I'm a massive admirer of John Stones. John Stones is phenomenal on the ball. And by the way, out of interest, just so you know, it's John Stones is the one who's on 97.1% pass accuracy just now, beating everyone. Right. So everyone, and, and of course, if you watch certain television shows in football, all they'll ever show you is the one time he gives the ball away. And you're thinking, that's garbage. You wouldn't do that at a midfielder. You wouldn't do that with a fullback. You wouldn't do that. It's just because he's playing. And it's a real, it's a British disease. We need to get better than that. Christensen's lovely, and he's, and he's going to get better and better and better. He will get better. He's too young. Centre halves only get um, are only cooked by about twenty six, so he's a bit young still. Yeah, and, it, and, and we're giving him some, giving him some. It's an interesting point you make about John Stones there, Pat. And, and uh, you know, as you say, they single out the mistake rather than all the good things he does. I mean, is that is, you know, kind of links into a question I wanted to ask you anyway. That kind of links into some sort of a media narrative. So that's the first part of the question. The second part is, I mean, how much are you enjoying the work with uh, Five Live and others? Ah, it's, it's a brilliant job doing media. I, I kind of. I'm kind of slightly niche, I think. I mean, I'll never be a match the day type person. It's, it's definitely, it wouldn't suit me because uh, I would like to be more depth than that. And it's, that's, that's less a football show more than an entertainment show. And I get that. I understand that. Um, but I like the chance. I love radio because you get the chance to develop in a discussion. Um, you can widen it. You can say things that... If I do a radio show or a television show or anything, absolute mantra before I start. I'm going to try and tell you something that you might not know. That's all I've got in my mind. I'm going to try and tell you. There's no point in me telling you how to post. There's no point in me telling you he's a good left back. There's no point. Because you know that. And I'm never going to talk down to football fans. Never talk down to football fans. There's enough people doing that. Um, and even if I get dragged onto a phone and then again, <laughs> and you get some real, I won't talk down to people. I'll talk to them like you would. And I, I get a bit miffed with the fact that it is a bit, it's a bit lowest common denominator sometimes. But then it's not aimed at me, but I will always treat the football fan with respect. And I'll always try and say, look, have you ever noticed this? I mean, I've tried to tell a couple of things tonight. Hey, have another look at John Stones or have another look at this. Now, they come from the questions, but I've actually went and studied these things to, to some level. So I love doing it. I love the fact that the BBC allow me to do it. I had a great one last week. I had... Um, I mean, up until recently, if I can fill you in a wee bit of what I've been doing, when I stopped playing football, um, 
well, I was chief executive of a club in Scotland, Motherwell, and player at the same time. That's a bit tricky. Uh, that's a show all on its own, but it was really good because having been chairman of the PFA for five years and I haven't done a lot of work in the media and written a lot, I've kind of got kind of a wide view of a lot of areas of football. I mean, I never wanted to be a, a manager or a coach. I think it's a mad job. You have to be loony to do that, but and it doesn't last, and it's damned unfair. But all the other sides of it is great, but this job currently just now is brilliant because I love travelling. Um you see different types of teams all the time. You can actually get a great opportunity to, to widen it. I've actually cut back on it recently, um, done a bit less. Uh, I, had, I had four different jobs last year, um, which was great, because I did all the... You wouldn't know it, because I made sure they were all in different territories. So I did all BBC Scotland TV's football, but you wouldn't know that here, because you don't get it down here. So I did Satanta in Ireland. So I worked once or twice a week in Dublin for Satanta. Do a lot of Chelsea TV, some of you may have seen that as well, and I did Radio 5 Live, and the odd little thing around it. But they were all in different so You're not sick of the sight of me because I'm not in your face all the time. Um, but last year I decided that it's, I, it's just, it was just too much and I wanted to slightly go away from it because I'm getting to an age now. I don't think, I think people like me are not needed now. So hopefully in the next year, two years, I'll. I'll fade away from it and uh, do something else. Well, that, well, I think many of us would say that's a, that would be a huge loss because the number of times I hear Chelsea supporters particularly saying, why can't Pat Nevin be on more? Why can't he be on Match of the Day? We're sick to death of these biased idiots talking nonsense. We need somebody who, know, who gets Chelsea and who's intelligent. So, you know, we'd, we'd find that a huge loss. No, I think certain programmes are they're, they're aimed in a different direction. They're, not, they're, they're quite fluffy and, you know, they, they, they want a headline. They really just want a headline, and that's what it's all about. It's about a good tweet, a good headline, and I'm not that, and I'm never going to try and be that, and I don't want to be that. You know, so it doesn't interest me greatly. And I did quite a few matches of day twos when Colin Murray was doing it, and we tried to switch it and move it in a different direction, but they didn't want that, really. They didn't want to something completely different, so fair enough. It's I mean, I, they, they make these decisions. I, I try not, oddly enough, I try not to watch it. Um because I don't want to steal ideas. So my concepts are be my own. Now, funnily enough, I know, uh, here's a weird one. Can I tell you this one? This is really funny. I could go on all night, but I'll try not to. Carragher uh, and uh, Neville, they do the Monday night one, yeah. Right, so I, I actually didn't really know for sure, but I think they do, right? So Carragher, I watched him talk about Chelsea. I'm thinking, you are biased against Chelsea. Right? I mean, you are. Yes, he, he doesn't like Chelsea. I, I don't actually think he hates it particularly, and it's fine. I, 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 it gets me, it gets me slightly miffed because they, you shouldn't have a, a negativity against anyone. I'm, I play for Chelsea and Everton. I don't actually dislike Liverpool. But this is a team. You play well, great, good on you. You know, so I don't. It kind of upsets me that they, they can do that, especially if they're on the telly. But I was actually getting really annoyed with Carragher. I was so fed up. Anyway, the start of. Um, La was it last season? I was up at um, Burnley. Was it Burnley? Who Burnley played against some non-league team in the FA Cup and got beat. It was Lincoln. Uh, it was, in fact, it was, it was January, wasn't it? So I've walked into the, the press room beforehand. And there's Carragher over there, who I have never spoken to in my life. And he spots me. And he walks over and he goes, Yeah, right, Patsy. Yeah, right. All right, mate. And I'm going, uh, Well, uh, 
oh, it's great to see you. Oh, fucking great, lad. I love you, man. And I'm going, and I realised he was an Everton fan growing up. And he liked it. <laughs> and I'm like, shit, I don't know how to react to this at all. Because I'd decided that I couldn't be bothered with him. And he's been really, really nice to me, and he was a bit of a fan. So I kind of talked to him, and I, and I kind of put in the line, by the way, hold back to Chelsea, mate. It's kind of a wee bit obvious, would you? And he kind of had a laugh. But I'll be honest with you, and I've, I've said this out loud, and I've, I work for the BBC, and I wouldn't hide it. They were anti-Chelsea. They were. And I work for the BBC. Yeah. Well, certain areas of it. I mean, if you think when, particularly in Hans... No. Well, you think about Hansen at a time, you know, and you think of the amount of time everybody who was on at the time was either Man United or Liverpool. Now, there's a good reason for that. A, they're stuck in Salford, fair enough. But the other reason for it is, think of the people who are controlling that and making decisions. And think of, so there'll be white men of a certain age, right? Who were their heroes? They were Hansen and whatever, Laurel and other. I, I wouldn't name any of them, but in actual fact, they would say, it's only because I don't know who they are. I've never got to meet them. So they, you have to think, they're not, they'll tell you and they'll think they're looking for the best talent. They're not. They just want to say, hey, I hang about with so-and-so. You know, and it's kind of about that. So they, I don't know if they're institutionally biased against Chelsea, but it's certainly pro the people who they thought were hyperstars and will stick by them. Uh, and that's maybe the more what it's like in the inside. But certainly, I know some of the guys, and there are a few of them who had a real dislike, an outright dislike for only one team, and it was Chelsea. So you, so you weren't being, you weren't being paranoid. Just so you know. I'm staying here anyway. One from you, my friend, and then we have to formally close the meeting. But as Pat said, he's going to stick around till he has to get his flight back. So hang around. Hang on, Dermot. I'll come and talk to you in a minute. Yeah, yeah. He's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm hanging about. So Pat, to get. Uh, across all the all the platforms like Sky, uh, BT, BBC, who, who, in your opinion, is the best sort of co-commentator analyst, and who's the worst? Ah, <laughs> I'm, I'm a see, I'm, a, I'm not a very good judge. To be honest, I'm a terrible judge, yeah. um, because I, I, I kind of got BT, but it's up in the bedroom now. When my son watches it all the time, so. Um, I don't get to see it that much. There's ones that I don't particularly like and I'll turn down and just watch the game. More often than not, I'll, I'll probably turn it the down because I don't want to be affected. It's not that I don't like them. I don't want my thinking affected. I want my thinking to be original. It's too often you hear people talking and you think, yeah, well, I heard so-and-so saying that two weeks ago and you're just basically parroting them. It's weird when people start parroting your ideas. It happens all the time. It's really strange. Um, but there's... The co-coms, yeah. I like the guys that I work with. Yeah. Odd enough, John Murray's fabulous. Uh, I got a lot of time for John. Um, certainly got an awful lot of time for... I'll tell you who's... Would surprise you. Lovely to see you. Uh, a lot of people would surprise you. Uh, Denno's good. You know, Ian Dennis is very good. Um, but in actual fact, for football knowledge, I I'll completely and utterly shock you. A guy who's got the most football knowledge and knows what knows it, and I would trust it if he told me something. I would trust his judgment as Jonathan Pierce. 
and that would surprise everyone. JP almost certainly is the only one of them who could have been a professional footballer because he was good enough. And he got injured really early on and he had this infection that affected him and it affected his weight and things like that. But in actual fact, he's, he's absolutely... And because he's got this big, originally fake, over-the-top style, it wasn't his... St he was given that by uh, the guy at Capital who said, what you do is you multiply it by three, you go mental, you go ballistic, and throughout your career you just slowly but surely bring it down. And he says, in 15, 20 years' time, you'll be doing match the day. And that guy was right. Richard Park is the correct answer, correct. Last question, if I may. Pat, thinking about things you do in the media and bring it closer to home, a lot of the stuff that I, I read personally on Chelsea's official publications can be quite bland and PC, but I think, to me, two of the most interesting things I read is your Tuesday column on the website and your article in the programme. How much free reign do you get on that? Oh, brilliant question. Fantastic question. I, I'll be, I, I promise to be honest. I'll be honest. And it's really fitting. They've pulled one article. Right. And the hundreds, and I mean hundreds, that I've done for the website. And I have done hundreds. Uh, I mean, I think maybe 400 and odd or something, something like that. I've done a lot. I mean, so I've been doing it a long time. They pulled one. And I remember saying, to them, Look, I don't think you should pull that. I think you should let it run. And they said, well, decisions be made. And I said, that's fine, okay, we'll just leave it blank this week. And we did. And we moved on. Uh, other than that, about six, seven weeks ago, the monumentally altered one, right at the start of the season. So in all that period, there's been two that I've thought, whoa, steady on. And I'll give you the reasons for both of them, right? Because you're dying off. Um, the first one was I wrote my thoughts on the Chelsea pitch owner situation. And they said, I said, I think you should let that run. Because what I was doing is I was given an encapsulation of both sides of the story. So that anyone reading this who, as far as I knew, because obviously my, I've got a bit of CPO history, um, I wanted to make sure that everybody, because not every Chelsea fan does, they don't know all, so especially ones abroad, and obviously that website goes abroad. But it was a very delicate time, just before the vote in the time, and they wanted to control the media. And to be fair, I understood it, and I, and I said, but I, I know I understand that, but I've actually been there before. I've been chief executive of a club. See if you get somebody who's actually in the middle saying, look, there's your point of view, but there's the other point of view. Think about it. And it was a very, very straight piece of what, what, what I saw at the time. But I understood it. And there, some PR guy somewhere would have said, pull it. Now, that wasn't the club, club being prafter. It was a pretty radical thing to put the opposition's point. You know, but they said, no, we best not to. And I went, fine, okay. And I wasn't angry with them at the time. And anyway, we started this season, I wrote a piece. I was so happy with it. It was, it was really funny. It was, it was some lines in it where I was, I was laughing out loud. And I've always leave wee jokes and comments from songs and things like that and them faded through. Hardly anyone gets them, but you get the odd one now and again if you happen to have seen that movie. Um, but it was ripped to shreds. They took 300 words out of it. I was like, what the hell is going on? And I'm kind of, I never phone up or anything like that. So I've gone, Nate phoned them up. So I phoned up Paul, who does it. And uh, somebody answered his phone. Where's Paul? And Paul's, oh, and Paul's on holiday. And who's editing? And he said, oh, I'm editing. And I went, you've just never seen it before, have you? And he went, no. And I, 
I don't actually think Paul reads it. He just lets it go. Anyway, anyway well, it was a bit near the... And it was, it, was a way, it was supposed to be humorous. And he said, well, I'm doing the... And he, well, he was fearful of the fact that he doesn't know where the lines were. So he wasn't, it wasn't Pravda. From the outside, you'd think, terrible, slashed, and it, it wasn't Pravda. I was, I was having a laugh at some of the players and some of the pr previous players and having a joke about you know, some of the capabilities. But it was done with a lightness. And always when you do those jokes, see, always when you write things like that, the joke must always be you. It must always end on you, in which it did, right? And they all did. So, but I was really pleased with it, and I said, oh, well, I'll dull it down for you if you want. But in actual fact, it was a misunderstanding. Other than that, 433 articles, they never touch it. Uh, thanks for saying that. I was going to say, you should write the CSE UK because the editor's much, much more kind. Really. Never asked me. <laughs> Never asked me. Yeah. 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 Can, can I actually say just now, you, I get two at the moment. You have to look on your system because I'm getting two every day. <laughs> every day. And, uh, at least I've mentioned it. I've been trying to get Pat to do something with us pretty much since we started as a trust. I think you've just seen why today. He's brilliant, so thank you. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.